I think everybody at the end of this call, like when they hang out, go look up their company and see if there's reviews out there and see what they say. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Monday, and in these episodes, you'll hear Sangram interview incredible practitioners, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs within our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Sangram here. Welcome to the Full Mountain Podcast. So if you haven't heard, go back and, and listen to one of the episodes where I interviewed Todd Capone, the author of Transparency Sale. It's a fantastic book and he's speaking all over the place and has become a really good friend of mine. And he just came out of speaking at Sales Assembly yesterday, keynoting over there, and he's all over the place right now. And this idea of transparency is so dear to me because it's, it's about authenticity. And I think a lot of people, if you're in marketing or sales or in leadership position, I think this idea of transparency and how it can actually be applied in a day-to-day work, this book is, is literally for, for all of you. So Todd, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast to really dive into what have you learned since you launched the book a few months ago and speaking all over what are the topics that are getting excited about. So we're going to dive into it. So again, Todd, welcome to the show. Sangram, you know, you always put a smile on my face. I'm so excited to be back on. So thanks for having me. Awesome, man. So uh, let, let's just jump into it, man. Like how has it been for you just being an operator, a, a really well-known operator, chief revenue officer from many different companies, have taken companies to all kinds of growth stages to becoming an author, which is not a practitioner. How has that transition been for you? Yeah, you know, as we've talked about, this whole idea of writing a book was always a bucket list thing for me. But, you know, as you know, going through the book writing process, the first thing they tell you to do is to write a proposal. And about four years ago, I had an idea for a book. I wrote a proposal for myself. And when I got done with the proposal, I looked at it and I was bored reading the proposal. So like, you write a book when you're really inspired. And so this transparency concept, which came out of that research study uh, that we talked about before, but, you know, around how a 4.2 to a 4.5 sells better than a five when a website is acting as the seller and what that means to the B2B world. I wrote the proposal. I got so excited about it. Ended up leaving my CRO role at Power Reviews in Chicago. And, you know, after the book comes out, there's a couple of ways this could go. The book could suck, uh, which clearly it doesn't. And if it did, I would be so proud that I accomplished this goal of mine. And um, I would probably go back into the working world. But it's had so much momentum. You know, I, I, the marketing phrase, product market fit. Like what we're talking about is really catching fire. And so I'm, like you said, hopping all over the place, speaking, training, doing some consulting. And I'm having so much fun that. You know, every time one of these CRO roles opens up in Chicago, I'm typically the first one getting called. And I just can't find the, the hooks, but to get back into it. I'm just, I'm having a blast taking the transparency sale concepts out into the world. That is freaking awesome, man. So, so before we get into the top three things that you said are popping up in people's mind as you do all these keynotes, one of the things when I was reading your book was around positioning. And you used an example of Ikea. And I was wondering if you could share that as to why positioning is super important and how people get positioned, regardless of you being in marketing sales 
or leadership. I think people need to listen to this part because when I was reading it, I felt like, oh my God, it is so clear as to why certain companies appear in a certain way or do certain things. And clarity in that is so important. And I think a lot of companies miss that. Could you uh, shed some light and unpack the whole section of positioning with the IKEA example for us? Well, yeah. I mean, it goes back to just for anybody that didn't listen to the first one, you know, what really drove this whole revel- you know, kind of evolution that people aren't talking about, it's kind of a non-obvious evolution, is this research study that it literally changed my whole world. But it was this, this idea that when a consumer is shopping online, so they're on a website, they're buying something of medium to high consideration that they've never bought before. You know, 95, 96% of consumers are reading reviews first. And I think we can all agree with that. But the two that really rocked my world, number one was the idea that 82% of consumers, again, when a website is acting as the salesperson, they specifically seek out the negative reviews first. First, right? That means something. And then the second piece of that is this idea that a review score, an average review score on a product that's between 4.2 and a 4.5, those products actually convert at a higher rate, they sell more per visit than one that's a perfect five. Because you know we're wired to resist being sold to and that idea that we, we first seek out the negative. And when I was thinking about my roles as a CRO, I'm like, hey, listen, we either bury the, the flaws until the end or we don't even share them at all. And so not only does the brain science tell us that it's best to lead with your flaws, but because of the proliferation of reviews and feedback on everything we do, buy, and experience, you can no longer hide your flaws and expect to get away with it. Now, you know, that's kind of this new era. You mentioned IKEA, and there's a number of companies that are doing this. You know, When you think about IKEA, you think about a furniture retailer that if, if you were starting a furniture retailing business, you would think they would be really easy to beat. But as it turns out, you know, they've been the number one furniture retailer in the world for eight straight years. And the experience is horrible. Like <laughs> you, you walk in, you have to find what you're looking for. You walk through a labyrinth of, uh, you know, like these aisles and kids are banging into the side of you with their carts. You find what you're looking for. There's no salesperson around to help you. So you have to write down the code or take a picture of it because you're going into the warehouse to find it and put it onto a cart that for some reason doesn't have brakes, like huge oversight in, uh, in design. You then go out into the parking lot and you pull up your hatchback and try to jam these boxes in. Like, you know, if you're ever bored on like a Sunday afternoon, just go hang out and watch people jamming boxes into the back of their cars there. It's hilarious. But you, these people go home with, couple of injuries and then they open the box and that's when the real fun begins there's 150 parts and no words on the work instructions but what they tell the world is listen we're not going to be good at those things so that we can be really good at giving you modern scandinavian design furniture that you didn't pay a whole lot for and so all right that's business to consumer how do we take that to the b2b world it, it's just this recognition in all of our businesses you know number one being this idea that none of us are all things to all people, none of us as individuals, none of us as companies. And so we've got to figure out what that is. What are the things that we're going to sacrifice so that we can be really good at our core that we believe is the thing that you should be thinking about? And then number two with that is this idea that, like I mentioned, that proliferation of reviews and feedback on everything, 
you got to, you know, marketers need to really take a seat in their, their customer seat and go, all right, if I was thinking about buying from us, where would I look and what would I find? And it's not just, like, you know, obviously there's companies like G2 Crowd and Trust Radius, but there's also the glass doors of the world, you know, billion dollar plus evaluation where current and former employees share what it's like to work with the company. And then as, as buyers, we're actually trying to predict not only what our experience is going to be with the product, but what our experience is going to be with you as employees, as the team. And so that's what's happening. It's, it's pulling all of that together and understanding that you're not perfect. What is your messaging going to be? How do you hit that four, two to four, five slot versus going out in the world and saying, hey, this is why we suck. Like, that's not what I'm saying at all. And then taking that messaging and help to enable your salespeople to deliver it in the right way. Man, I love that example. I think I have been to Ikea probably five, six years ago, and I felt like this is crazy. And so to your point, it is for a specific demographic, the specific need, and they know what they're wanting. And they don't, it's no different than Costco, right? If, if you're in the South and if you know what Costco does, it's exactly the same way. You know that what you're going to get are incredibly high qualities. It's the opposite on the sense of quality, but it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be super clean. Um, you're going to get huge amounts of stuff. So it's wholesale and you're still going to get a hot dog for a dollar fifty-two. Uh, that's, that has never changed in the last 20 years of their existence, right? So you have this very clear positioning in the minds of the people who are buying. And that is, I think, you and I clearly believe are, is, is the way to do it, is that in this noisy world, if you can't have clarity of where, what, what you stand for, it doesn't even matter what you stand for, quite honestly. You could stand for filthy stuff. You could stand for not clean. In this case, you could stand for things where there's just you have to do everything and they won't do anything for you. But you know exactly what you're getting into and people will be okay with that. But not knowing is not an excuse. Well, yeah, like Southwest Airlines. It's a, a company that people envy from, you know, an airline. And what did, how did they take the market? They said, hey, we're not going to be good at giving you drinks and, you know, a, a nice meal on your flight. Like, we're, we're going to cattle call you in, but you're not going to pay a whole lot. And we're going to treat you really well when you're out. Like, you know, we're going to be really cool people. And, like, you know, they just took over. Like, when you see these companies that are doing this, uh, oftentimes you can make the trail back to, them coming out and just leading with transparency and telling the world, like Tyra Banks would say, hey, we're flossom. You know, we're going to embrace our flaws, but know that we're really awesome at the stuff that we think matters. I love that flossom. Right, which now it begs the question, Todd, and you know people are thinking as they're listening to it right now because majority of them are in B2B. How do you do this in B2B? Or which companies do you think are doing it well in B2B? Well, yeah, I mean... First of all, when you think about the B2B world, that, that's where it really started, that I looked at this and again said, hey, when a website is acting as the seller, imperfect sells better than perfect. Transparency sells better than perfection. And I, I was literally, when I read the report, I was sitting in my office and I had, my office was like glass walled and I looked over to my right and there's, I had 62 sellers and client success people sitting right outside my door. And I'm thinking, you know what, I think all of them are presenting our products as though we're a perfect five. We know that that actually pushes people away and extends sales cycles because we're wired to predict what our experience is going to be like. 
And if we're not getting the imperfect from you, we're going to go find it somewhere else. And, you know, there were some other pieces of that too, that I know if we ever did reveal a flaw, we were waiting until the end. So I, again, no book idea at this point, but then I went out to New York and we had an inbound lead that came in for Calvin Klein. And, you know, I, so I told my head of sales who pinged me on this thing, Hey, I'm in New York. See if the guy's available. I'd love to go grab coffee with him while I'm here. And so they pinged him and the guy was like, yeah, like they haven't come by the office. So I literally, I go to the office. I meet him at the elevators. He brings me into his little Manhattan office and all of a sudden people are pulling chairs in. He jammed like eight people into this room and pointed at the monitor and said, dude, you could plug in your laptop to this. They're like, I, I guess we're not having coffee. <laughs> and so I looked around and I thought, what the hell? I'm going to try it. And I knew it was coming. Uh, they, they were very New York in the best way possible, meaning like, let's just get to it. Yeah. And the guy was like, hey, Todd, we're looking at your competitor. We're looking at you. How are you better than them? Like that was question number one. Mm-hmm. And so I just said, hey, listen, can I just start with how they're better than us? You know, there's some things that they're doing in the apparel space that is is innovative and it's not even on our roadmap. Like we're behind on those things. We're, we're not even contemplating them. As a matter of fact, the one big thing that they're doing right now, we're not even, we probably never do. And if that's going to be super important to you, then like we can save each other a lot of time. And they all like deflated and they're like, are you crazy? Uh, but yeah, go ahead. And so I literally gave a quick pitch on this add-on thing that our competitor and dude, I'm telling you, it was magic. The results that happened within 15 minutes, he kicked everybody out of his office. So it's just me and him. He grabbed his budget off of his credenza and opened it up and showed me his whole e-commerce budget for the year. And pointed to the one uh, line that said ratings and reviews technology and had a dollar amount. on it. And he's like, can you hit that? And so we got into a conversation around this, but the, the bottom line is, what typically would be a four to six month sales cycle full of presentations and maybe RFPs. They made a decision in two weeks. We did about four weeks of contract back and forth. So it, it shrunk it down to six weeks versus six months. Yeah. But like that's, that's the, the whole magic here. When you're providing the buying brain with everything they need to make a decision, which includes the negatives again, remember the lead with part you, in, you speed up your sales cycles immeasurably. Like it's crazy but your win rates go up, you qualify deals in faster, you qualify deals out faster that you're gonna lose anyway, like better to lose fast. But my favorite part of this story is that two weeks later when they decided, that head of e-commerce called me and said, Todd, you're gonna find this funny. First of all, congratulations, we're going with you, great. <laughs> and then he said, hey, I told your competitor uh, that we're going with you. And they went right into pitching that add-on uh, thing. And I said, whoa, 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 guys, we're not interested in that. As a matter of fact, you know, Todd, the CRO for Power Reviews was really pitching us on that too. And I was like, ah, that's awesome. So like when you do this right, you put your competitors in a massive disadvantage. Like they, they can't even position against you. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, man, that is fantastic. That is fantastic. And that story just tells that, look, it is not fine the sky. And, and which is why I love why I wanted you to be on the podcast and I want people to hear because a lot of times authors of books are not practitioners. And I want to say that again, authors of a lot of great books, amazing books are not practitioners. 
practitioners. So there are a lot of the things in many people say, yeah, that sounds great, but I'm not sure if it actually works. I'm not sure if it actually works in the real world. I'm not sure if this is really how it happens. And here you are who has been practicing sales probably for 20, 30 years of your career. And now you're going out and saying, you know what? I've seen it. As a matter of fact, I've done it. And here's my results. And here is how it actually works in the real world right now in 2019. So don't take this lightly. This is important. So I feel like that is yeah, that's how you, it's a combination. Yeah. yeah. You know, when you think about it, it's not only that hey, this one guy tried it and he's really good at it. But, but the other thing that it drove me to was this whole world of the neuroscience and around how we make decisions. And so like, I not only wanted to try it, make sure that it worked, but I wanted to understand why. And man, there is, in the last 10 years, neuroscientists have pinpointed exactly how we make decisions as human beings. And you know, for your marketing listeners, there's some great neuromarketing books, but that's something that we need to embrace right now because it's there. And it's there yeah. to help with neuroscientists figure out decision-making. But man, if you can take that and apply it to the way that you approach your customers, whether you're in marketing or sales, there's magic in that data. No doubt, no doubt. All right, so there were several things that you have been really getting feedback on. And one of the things I would love to double down on uh, or double click on is this, uh, this, this section where it's all about transparency negotiation. Can you unpack that for us? Yeah, man, that one is on fire and it always has been. It was something that I came up with back at Exact Target uh, back in like 2010, 2011. And I used it back in like the late 2000s. I never realized that it was like that the magic was in the transparency of it. But here's the issue. In my career, I've learned a lot of different negotiating techniques. And, and they're awesome. There's some great books out there. Like I recommend Chris Voss's book every day. Like there's some incredible stuff in there. But at its core, I've always felt like in sales, if we're really trying to build trust, you know, so many of the negotiating practitioners that I've learned from have been former CIA agents, former hostage negotiators for the FBI. Like, all right, in sales, why are we learning from them? Like, isn't that the opposite of trust? And you go online, go into Google and just search, um, you know, best, trans or best negotiation techniques. And the mm -hmm. first things that are going to pop up are the opposite of trust building, the opposite of transparency. Like, number one will be aim high start with an extreme position. Number two will be something like, hey, a great way to get control over a negotiation is to give your buyer the illusion that they have control. And like, that's when I burst into tears, like, oh my God. So, you know, essentially, and I, I've also believed that if it takes you a day and a half, two days to learn negotiation, you're never going to get it. And so it was called at exact target, like Todd Capone's famous 20 minute negotiation skills class, because it's that easy to learn. But I'll, I'll lay it out for you because it's simple. Yeah. The basically all of our, if we're in SaaS, all of our company's uh, pricing models are based on four things that we carry. Number one is volume, so how much you buy. Number two is cash, like timing of cash, how fast you pay. Number three is the length of commitment, so how long you commit. Number four is the timing of the deal. So when you sign. So when somebody asks you what your pricing is based on, you tell them, but you lay out those four levers. When you deliver the proposal, you lay out those four levers again and make it very specific. But then when the negotiation comes, here's how it goes. The customer says, hey, Todd, we're going to need 30% off this thing to make it happen. 
Now, instead of you going into Texas Hold'em poker style mode where you hide all your tells and you go, oh, we can do 10, and then you go back and forth until you end up in the middle, or you, know, you, you hide what a deal, a good deal would be for you, what you do is say, hey, you know what? I think we can get you there. These are the four things that we're willing to pay you for in the form of a discount. You're committed to X amount of volume. So there's obviously a price break based on your volume, but commit to more technology. We'll pay you for that in the form of a discount. Pay us faster. So if we've got quarterly payments, pay us annually. We'll pay you for that in the form of discount. Hey, you're committed for one year, extend it up to three years. We'll pay you for that in the form of a discount, 5% per year. Help me forecast my business. Like there's value in our ability to forecast our business. Let's collaborate on when is a reasonable date to hold each other to. And if you hold it, you know, hold to that date, I'll pay you in the form of a discount of 5%. And, and that's where it all started was to lay out those four all together instead of ping pong style. But then use those as your way of saying, hey, here's what our pricing is based on. The magic in that is not only do you build trust through the goal line instead of crush it right at the goal line, but what you'll find is companies are not only negotiating their own deals, they're paying you in exchange for getting a discount in the form of something that matters to your business. And then, you know, as I was rolling out of power reviews, one of our big customers called me, wanted a discount on his renewal, and I reminded him of the four levers, and he took about an hour and a half, came back to me and told me what his renewal was going to be and committed to a longer period of a renewal and paid us faster. So you got customers negotiating their own renewals too. It's, it's magic. Wow. I love that, man. I think, and that's why I feel like people got to pick this book up, man. I think there's just so much in it and this is not just for sales. And I want to be very clear that since the transparency sale and guess what? We all in sales and marketing every day, especially if you're in B2B. So I took a bunch of notes and, and, and Todd, I think I'd love for you to finish off with a challenge at the end of the day. And then as we discussed before recording, Todd, just so everybody knows, it's so awesome. And we became so good friends. He's going to run a series sometime soon around this whole idea of transparency sale, interviewing some incredible people on the Tuesday takeover. So be on the lookout for that. But here, here, here are some of the big ideas. Number one, oh my goodness, this is, this is so good. No longer you can hide your flaws. No longer you can hide your flaws. This is so important. We all are trying to put a mask on and say how good and awesome we are. But the reality is your flaws are very open. People are smart, just like you are smart. Your competitors are smart and your customers are smart. So don't think of them as they don't know or we are hiding something. Be open and transparent around it. And, and the examples that, that both Todd and I shared around Southwest, Costco, Ikea, they all have one thing in common. If you look up to these brands, they all are clear about what they're good at. And they're also clear what they don't care about or don't think are important based on their business model. So being clear is a matter, is a choice. And you as a salesperson or marketing person or as a brand should think about that. The, the second big idea I feel like is, is this one, which is you, you, if you hear, go back and listen to this part where Todd talks about this experience that he had with this big, gigantic company where he just happened to be in New York at the same time and he happened to be in that office and they happened to have him do a pitch and and he could have just done a standard pitch but he became very transparent and he as a matter of fact started with the good things of your of their competitors as opposed to the obvious thing to do so I, I feel like this idea of 
transparency sells better than perfection is a big idea. Transparency sells really, really better than perfection. And then, and then finally, I think this is this is a part where I don't want anybody uh, to miss is that how are they better than us, right? Like, I think if you are trying to hide and if you're trying to not create transparency, you have to ask this question yourself because your customers are asking this question within their meetings, just go ahead and answer and go ahead and be transparent about that. How are they, your competitors, better than you? And you should already have the answer to the question and they are going to be better at some things than you. And you should be okay with that because guess what? You are better at some things that your deal works. And, and if that's important for your customer, you will, to touch point, close deals faster. And if that's not important to your customers, guess what? You will move on to the best fit customer faster. So in both cases, you actually win, not lose uh, the process. Uh, I don't know if I covered uh, like the key here. I love, love, love for you to share a challenge with everybody on this, uh, on this whole talk transparency sale. Well, I'll tell you what, I think a key metric that everybody needs to know is what is your G2 score? What is your glass door score? What is your trust radius score? I think everybody at the end of this call, like when they hang out, go look up their company and see if there's reviews out there and see what they say, because your customers know, and they're coming to you, they're talking to your salespeople and they know what your flaws are if they're out there. And if there aren't reviews yet, they're coming. Like, I would make it a monthly, quarterly thing to go out there and make sure that everybody knows what your review score is and what people are saying about you. Like, that's the way of the world. Like I said, none of you buy anything to, of medium to high consideration or even pick a restaurant in a new town or you know, a, a hotel in a place that you've never been without looking at reviews. You can bet your customers are doing it. You better know what they're going to find. Uh -huh. Oh, that's so good. As you were saying, I just went to G2 Proud and looked at Terminus and I'm like, all right, good. That, that's some good reviews there. You just made me go do that. So I need to do this on a regular basis. But dude, thank you so much for jumping on. And again, I can't wait for your success uh, to be just be heard everywhere and people to pick up the book uh, and, and the series that uh, you and I can do in, in the coming months, man. Todd, Love thank it. you so much. Thanks, buddy. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.